Chapter 15. The Firing On a Friday in late September 1985, Frank and I arrived home from a church growth seminar at the Yoido for Gospel Church in Seoul, Korea. On Sunday, Frank knew he was in trouble. At 8.15am, he parked the car and started up the stairs to the auditorium. He puzzled over the difficulty he had in putting one foot in front of the other. I'd walked on ahead, not realising that Frank was ill. There had been some symptoms in Seoul, but we had not realised their portent. Ten minutes into his sermon, he felt as though he was going to faint. To avoid that embarrassment, he sat on the edge of the platform. I'm feeling ill. Will the elders lay hands on me? The elders were at his side in a flash. Lord, heal your servant from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, one shouted. Devil, get your hands off God's servant, ordered another. A doctor in the congregation followed Frank out to his office. Do you have any pain, he asked. No, just an unbelievable weakness. I chipped in with the details of Frank's experience in Seoul, and Gordon knew the problem. After a brief examination, he gave his verdict. Frank, I think you have a duodenal ulcer, and you are hemorrhaging. You've lost all your colour. I want to take you for a blood test. No, Gordon, not now. I'm going to preach in the second service. Gordon realised that here was a difficult patient who, had, who would follow the plan he had mapped out for his day, no matter what anyone said. Well, he would pray for his pastor. God did heal the sick apart from medicine. I'll send someone to the house tomorrow to get a blood sample. In the meantime, let me know if you get any worse. By Monday, Frank nearly fell on the floor when he climbed out of bed. Once the blood sample was taken, we waited impatiently for the results. Early afternoon, Gordon rang. Frank, your hemoglobin level is down to 7.9. It should be about 15. You must get to the hospital immediately. What does that mean? Frank wanted to know. It means you are seriously ill and you must not delay getting further treatment. You will need blood transfusions. Well, Gordon, I'm not going to the hospital until the elders of the church have anointed me with oil. The Bible doesn't call the doctor. It says call the elders and that I am going to do. How long will that take? The doctor sounded anxious. About an hour? You don't have an hour. Gordon, I am not going to the hospital till I've called the elders. Then go immediately after the elders have prayed for you. I'll phone the hospital to let them know you are coming. While Frank waited for the elders, our daughter Maureen read some of his favourite scriptures. When the elders anointed Frank with oil... Nothing seemed to happen physically, but he was filled with an incredible peace and sense of well-being. At five o'clock, we helped Frank through the hospital door. A nurse whipped the colourless man into a wheelchair before he sank to the ground. This is humiliation indeed. I hope none of my congregation see me now, he said to me. This man of faith and power, now weak and unable to walk. But one did. The nurse in charge of the ward... All day he had wondered why he was in admission. He'd never worked there before. As he walked beside Frank into the ward, he was sure that God had placed him there to minister to his pastor. While the nursing staff rushed to work, taking blood tests and asking endless questions, they searched for veins in which they could insert a drip. They had difficulty finding one. Frank, lying relaxed in a bubble of peace, detached himself from the turmoil, centering his mind on the Lord. By now his hemoglobin level was down to four. Anxiety pushed to take control of my mind. The doctor had said he would need blood transfusions.
blood transfusions. Their safety was still uncertain, although the doctor had exploded when Frank asked the risk. I'm sick and tired of AIDS. That's alright for her, Frank thought. She isn't getting the blood. I thought of the possibility of a hemorrhage, but that Frank could die didn't occur to me. I went home to bed. As I sank into its comfort, I relinquished the whole situation to Jesus. Lord, I can do nothing for Frank except pray. I place him and myself in your everlasting arms. At that moment of surrender, God's amazing peace also surrounded me and I slept unaware of the drama of the hospital. At one o'clock in the morning, Frank's blood pressure dropped alarmingly. Doctors worked frantically. We are sorry, Mr. Houston, but we are having trouble with your blood pressure. Frank removed his oxygen mask briefly. Just keep working on it, doctor. Frank slipped the mask back over his nose. At this moment of serious trouble, I sensed the weakness of my body, yet I was amazingly strong in spirit until I lay in a beautiful stillness, he told me later. I committed myself totally to God's will. I had never been aware of the Holy Spirit in this way. Jesus was very near and precious. I saw the work he had been doing in me all through the years, he told me. All the trials, temptations and difficulties were paying off. What I had preached from the word of God was the truth. I also knew how fragile life is, but if dying is like this, I'll never be afraid to die. As Frank recounted his experiences, I saw that he had made the same discovery as I had when I read Psalm 66 verses 8 to 12. God had brought us into a wealthy place. Yet in some notes Frank made about his illness, he wrote, quote, Lord, give me a few more years that I might go out of this life having achieved something for God. Close quote. I wondered about that prayer. Hadn't he achieved about all he could in 43 years of ministry? Why else did he receive an honorary doctorate for his work in Bible colleges and a grandfather clock from the Assemblies of God churches of the state of New South Wales when he had completed 40 years of ministry? Why did our son, Brian, pay us the greatest tribute that a son could pay his parents? I realised that Frank was reassessing the ministry. I concluded it wasn't what he had done that counted, but what still remained to be done. This challenge made him wonder why there are so many once-a-Sunday Christians. He remembers that Sunday was totally given over to God when he was a young Christian. No time for picnics or footballs or cleaning shoes. Perhaps we were too restrictive on Sunday activities then, but have we swung to the other extreme now? Frank still insists we are engaged in warfare and we must be committed to winning it. For this reason, he will not be diverted from preaching the pure gospel with integrity. He speaks with concern when he says, We are dealing with people's lives and God and will hold us accountable for the results. It is important to me to be able to walk into my pulpit knowing I am a man of God, able to speak the oracles of God, to meet the hurts, the sin of other human beings. If it was not so, what might have happened to the homosexual who phoned for help from 3,000 miles? He was a bright, active Christian in our church until a scholarship took him to Los Angeles to pursue his career in television. There he became actively involved in homosexuality and we lost contact with him. After three years, his brother phoned to say he was home in Perth, dying with cancer. At this time, our morning service was televised and sent nationwide by the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. A friend of the Smiths phoned to tell them to watch the service. 
Mrs. Smith floated through the channels to one. Mum, that's Pastor Houston's church in Sydney. I want to talk to him. They'd only been home half an hour when the phone rang. This is Mrs. Smith from Perth. Jim watched your service on Channel 1. He's very ill and extremely weak, but he wants to talk to you. She passed the phone to Jim. Pastor Houston, can you help me? I'm dying with AIDS. The doctor says I only have two weeks left and I know I'll go to hell. Jim was extremely distressed. I've committed the most awful sins and I'm sure God can't forgive me. His loud crying almost prevented him from speaking. Listen, Jim, God does love you no matter what you've done. Frank felt his pain. This young man, so full of promise, dying and with AIDS. I can't believe that. I deliberately turned away from God. How can he forgive that? Jim, God does love you. He hates your sin, but he does love you. He asks you to tell him that you have sinned. And when you ask for his forgiveness, I know he will forgive. Jim stumbled through a prayer of confession and a plea for the Lord to take away his guilt. The phone clicked off. Two weeks later, Jim died. Frank was stirred in his spirit. Life must go on. The living still cried for help. Who but the church has the real answers to life? I am more important to my city than the Lord Mayor is, Frank tells his congregation. And so are you. When we forget the church is about God and people, not money or buildings or fad doctrines, we run into trouble. He is adamant that he doesn't want to know how many are in church, only how many are outside waiting to be brought in. Let us hold fast the course God has set us. Stay with the simple gospel of salvation, healing and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is all a man needs. We are created by God and for God and until people come to know him, they haven't found the answer to life. I heard Brian and Frank discussing the health of the church. The ministry will only stay alive as long as men will allow God to work through them, Frank said. For this reason, he implants into younger men the vision and dreams of the ministry as he sees them. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see. Frank stopped reading the Beatitude right there. The pure in heart are visionaries. They see the unfolding revelation of the will of God. As Frank mulled over the words, he knew he had another sermon. The things you taught us have been a big help in my Christian life, wrote Chris Aton now a successful missionary in the Philippines. Frank encourages them to see and hear from God themselves. Then you cannot lose for winning. Frank made a resolution he will not break when he said, as he closed the pages of Smith Wigglesworth, Apostle of Faith, quote, I will not listen to negative men, nor read negative books, close quote. Frank believes negativity is a killer and men who get into that realm will hinder the life and work of the church. He threw out another challenge to the ministers at the 1988 New South Wales Assemblies of God conference when he said, quote, God can take a worm like me and a worm like you, for I am not the only worm, and empower us to turn the world around us upside down. God hasn't changed. Let us say, to hell with the devil, and get on with the job God has given his people. At 66, Frank states positively, I'm not going to retire. I'm going to a fire. Isn't that what life's all about?